Father, what a magnificent love you have. That our confidence and our hope, our joy are firmly found and grounded in and held secure by Christ our Savior. We long for that day to walk those golden shores with you, our great God and King. We pray, Lord, that in the meantime, that you would derive much joy from our pursuit of you, the way we walk in freedom the way we love each other, the way we love those around us. God, would you be glorified in that? And would you do the work in our hearts to bring about an even greater glory for you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Austin, we got to talk about your song selection before I preach. <laughs> that one, I was good until like the last, like, that last one just hit me. Uh, jerk. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was not ready. Um, but God is good, amen? amen. I find that uh, in, in academic circles, and like when I was in college, there were, there were generally two, two types of students, those who preferred to take tests and those who preferred to, take, to write papers. And I am definitely of the paper writing variety. Um, you give me, uh, you know, the professor would give me a couple months. I would usually wait until the back half of that uh, to start the paper. But you give me time to sit down take the information, process it, formulate an argument, I feel pretty good about that. You bring me into a room and give me an empty desk and a pencil and you're gonna put something in front of me, that's all kinds of anxiety for me. And so with that in mind, it's no wonder that, that the two worst words I could ever hear in my academic career, and it would come somewhere in April, like late April, early December, you'd hear the words and they haunt me to this day, cumulative final. Yeah, you guys feel it too. It's horrible. Like the professors, they, they're just deranged. They want us to know everything they've taught. It's just awful. And it was, the pressure would just, it would hit me hard. But it was completely fair of the professor to say, I've spent a long time preparing these lessons, giving you just the right books to read, preparing a syllabus for you to follow so that at the end of it, you would know the necessary information about this course and the, and the, and the things covered in this course. Um, and like, we want our doctors to do well on cumulative finals, but we ourselves don't necessarily care about our performance like on, on world history up to like 1500s. Like, I don't, I don't need that. <laughs> I, I guess I do. Um, <laughs> Didn't even, you gotta think through some of these jokes. Um, 
I think we should just start over. No. Um, <laughs> and so it's fair, but it's, it feels like a lot of pressure. Like, I'm supposed to know all this. I'm supposed to be able to recount all of this at a notice. And yet, at the same time, Scripture gives us kind of, kind of cumulative finals. Not in, a, not in the sense of, here's, uh, tell me everything you know about this, like at the end of Deuteronomy. But there certainly is throughout the Old Testament a need to know Deuteronomy. There's a, there's a real need for the people to be able to call on Deuteronomy. And when we see them calling on, on Genesis through Deuteronomy is when we see them living rightly. Other times in the New Testament, we'll have these kind of summary statements that, while not being a cumulative final, certainly have a cumulative statement of what it means to follow this passage. I think, I think the hardest one for me is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, you should be perfect. And I'm like, easy. Um, well, we, when we come here this morning, we're coming to Romans 12, 13, and in a much shorter way than obviously Deuteronomy or the Sermon on the Mount, in a much shorter way, Romans 12, 13 has a cumulative final type feel to it. In, in sense of the paragraph starts with the sentence, the topic sentence of the paragraph, let your love be genuine, and it goes through all these qualifiers of what genuine love is, and then 13 ends with this punch uh, of that, that is absolute action all the way, that is impossible to do without a genuine love. Like it, not only as we think about abhorring what is evil and hold fast to what is good, 13 comes with this cumulative genuine love where it's not just, hey, don't be selfish, don't be controlling, don't be greedy, don't be bitter, put aside your prideful ambition, but it, it goes in a much different direction and it's a, it's a test of, of our expression of the genuine love of God we have received, the genuine love of God we just got done singing about the impact of um, And what it means for us as we gather, as we come together in expression of this. So I'm going to read Romans 12, 13, and then I'm actually, right away from that, I'm going to go back to 9 and read through 13. So I'm going to read the last sentence of the paragraph, and then I'm going to read the whole paragraph over again. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now let's go back to verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Looking specifically at, at some of what we looked at last week, genuine love is not only having this kind of hope-filled, God-centered patience in our own tribulation, but genuine love is the keen awareness that my brothers and sisters in Christ, whom I'm worshiping with, are going through their own tribulations. 
This is, again, the opposite. Last week we talked about that dynamic of when I'm in a tribulation, what I'm tempted to do is to isolate and insulate. And when we do that, we lose our awareness that our brothers and sisters in Christ are also going through tribulations. And we lose the opportunity to mutually care for one another in the midst of our tribulations. And so here, when we get to verse 13, it is be aware that your brothers and sisters in Christ, who you are gathered with, your brothers and sisters in Christ in your church are also going through tribulations of their own and do something about it. So what we see is genuine love of gospel gathering responds to the tribulation of others by participating in the needs of our fellowship. Fellowship, this is one of our key words in Western church, especially in Midwestern church. Fellowship means one thing and one thing only, right? What does it mean? Food. Specifically, potluck, right? And so when we think of sharing in fellowship, we're like, I can't wait to have Mrs. McGillicuddy's casserole because it knocks it out of the park every time. So I'm, I'm actually going to bring my own paper plate from home that's bigger than the church paper plates because they don't believe in feasting at church. But we fellowship in food. We share with one another in food. But here, the, the contribute to the needs of the saints, we're going to, I love the ESV. It's my, per, it's, my, it's my preferred translation. It's not a perfect translation. And so this is a verse that I'm going uh, to pick a little bit at it uh, because the original language is much more about fellowshipping in the needs that each other have, that we would be participants in each other's needs. And so here, instead of fellowshipping and saying like, oh, you brought this, you brought this, let's put it all on our plate and enjoy the meal together that we've all brought together. Instead, it's that applied to needs. You have a need, you have a very specific need, it's a very serious need, and so I'm gonna step towards you and I'm gonna take on your need with me. I'm gonna share in it and partner in the needs of the saints. I'm gonna take a stake in your needs. I've mentioned before that uh, I just really enjoy the, the show Shark Tank. What's interesting is, is in Shark Tank, when the, when the sharks, the ridiculous billionaires, make offers, there, there's two kinds of offers that they'll make. Sometimes they'll make an offer of a line of credit. Like you don't need a partner in your business, you're doing everything fine, you just need a little more money, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna become your personal bank and you can draw on this and, and pay it back and, and we're gonna get you the financing you need for your supply chain issue, for your distribution issue, whatever it is. And then the other, which is much more common, is the shark says, I'm going to pay you this much money and I'm going to get this percentage of your company, but it's not just me now getting some of your profits. It's I now care about your company as a part owner and I'm going to give you advice and you can call me at midnight. You can send me emails and I'm going to reply personally and I'm going to use my connections to get your business to the next level it can and should be at. And what what we are told here to do is to not just say, hey, we're just going to pass the plate, and at the end of it, you're going to get 
uh, you're going to get several hundred dollars that will help with your bills. But in, instead of just that, where we just give money, and sometimes giving money is absolutely needed, appropriate, and, and handing someone a check to, to get to that next pay period, to get through that financial trial is great. But instead of that, what we are saying is that when we come together as a church, it's not about passing the plate. It's about I'm going to walk with you in the midst of your trial because you are my brother or sister in Christ. And if we can worship together, then I can share with you in the struggle of having this financial burden, of having this tribulation burden, of illness, or a marriage that's falling apart, or a loved one who's walking away from Christ, and I'm going to participate with you in your trial. It's deeper than, and, and obviously there's a part of this where we rejoice with those who rejoice, we grieve with those who grieve. But sometimes it can be really easy to do that for, hey, we're together for a half hour. I'm going to shed some tears with you. I'm going to pray with you through the week. And what, what this is, is this is much more of, I'm going to take, because we are family in Christ, I am going to help you own the burden that you are carrying. There is, though, a very specific uh, application to finances. First John 3.17 says that if we have the worldly goods and our brother is in need and we close our heart to them, then, then John raises the question that how could the love of God abide in you? Which is, to put it, and, and we need to let this sting and we need to let the discomfort of this sit with us. If you have what it takes or if, you're, if you have enough that you can participate and give financially to your brother and sister in Christ who's struggling, and you say, I'm not going to do that, then it begs the question, is the love of God abiding in your heart? And that's a hard question. But 1 John is really good at asking those hard questions when it comes to our brotherly affection for one another. That when we would say, I love the Lord, I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that brother of mine in Christ is completely on his own when it comes to facing his utility bills. See, the point of this is not that we would, within the church, within Westchester, establish some sort of attempt at a worldly utopia that reduces some and elevates others until we're all at the same level, having a per capita income as a church, but it is an instruction to open our hearts and resources as needs arise. And there's a few prerequisites to this. One, the, the thing that's, I'm just going to speak autobiographically, the thing that's helped me be more generous is the more I've become aware of God's generosity to me. And so I need to know the expensive love of God that was shown to me that was the price of Jesus' own blood, of what did God withhold in my time of need. Secondly, we need to have an eternal view of our worldly resources. Nothing I have is off limits from the Lord. Things ought to be spent for the care of eternal hearts, and the earthly bodies they inhabit. Finally, and I think this is the biggest challenge, is we have to know each other 
and be known by each other. If we are going to obey, and I use that word quite directly, if we are going to obey the instruction in verse 13 to participate in one, other, in, in one another's needs, we have to know what those needs are. And so if we are coming to church and going home and minding our own business and not talking to anyone and never getting to know their names, much less their needs and how we can pray for them, how are we ever going to be able to participate with them when things in their life just completely go awry? If we are coming to church and we show up, we sing the songs, we do the frozen chosen worship, Right? I was, side story, when I was with Harry at his ordination service, they had a praise team and it was youth and they got up and they're singing and it's in Swahili. And I, I tell you guys, it was fire. It was like some of the best live music I've ever heard. It was amazing. And Harry, years ago when he started coming to Westchester, uh, Harry and Shereen Gabo, he asked me several theological questions. His last question was, why doesn't Westchester dance when they worship? I'm like, it's a problem, man. So... I'm at that worship service with Harry, and like, I, you just move, right? And you can't not move. And, I, and Harry's laughing at me because I'm dancing. I go, Harry, if, if our music sounded like this, I think our people would dance. And he just goes, no, they wouldn't. Um, <laughs> I, he didn't even miss a beat. Um, he might be right. Uh, anyways, where, where in the world was I? Okay. Um, But if we come and just do our thing and leave, and we never share with the body of Christ the needs of the tribulations that we are walking through, we are robbing our brothers and sisters in Christ of the opportunity to be God's hands and feet ministering to us. And it's a very humbling thing to do to ask for help. It's a very humbling thing to do to be the one who needs hands laid on them to pray. To be the one who, who needs a little financial assistance to get through a tough, tough time when just all the bills of the world seem to come due at one time and, and you don't even know how it happened or, or whatever the case would be. It can be a humbling person to be the one who's receiving the meal trains but we participate. And we do need to stress the word need because it isn't a light word. This isn't about my hot tub needs repaired or I need to get my cable access back up, but this is things that are essential to life here. I need to pay for my mortgage for the next couple months. I don't know how I'm going to. I need to pay off this hospital bill. We're about to have our heat and air turned off. We, we need a car. and It's really hard to get around in our culture without a car and in our city without a car. So we have, have to have a discerning heart and mind to know the difference between needs for utilities and needs to go see Taylor Swift on the Eras Tour. They're two different needs. And we don't care about the second one. So real quick as a church, I want to identify some ways we do this well. Because there's a, there's a very good and healthy way. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. Because Westchester is a loving church. We have an unbelievably healthy benevolent fund. We've had times where we've had extenuating benevolent needs and that number gets going low. And we just say like, this, this is like the ultimate test of you guys reading your emails. 
We'll just send out like a whisper. The benevolent fund is low. And it's just like all of a sudden like Scrooge McDuck has dumped something in and it's like risen up. And we have just a tremendously healthy benevolent fund that we can be very generous with without worries that it's just gonna run out. When we send out emails about update, about needs, we throw those in the updates, sometimes it's an, ex an extra email. You guys, you guys respond. When there is someone who needs a meal, they've just had a baby, they've been in the hospital for a while, I mean, you guys give them type two diabetes and, and like obesity, it's great. You, you feed so well. Another thing, and this just gets, this gets missed in the midst of it. So many times we look at the, at the material needs. Someone's going through a trial. They've had a, 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 just a horrible past couple months. There's a lot of financial needs. And there's the financial need part that gets met. But then another thing that gets met, and this is something we're doing well and we can grow in, is in the midst of the tribulation, there's a need to have someone present with you in that tribulation. There's a real need to be not alone. I need someone, we have Stephen's ministers who quietly spend hours and hours on the phone and in person with people who are hurting, going through difficult situations. And regardless of your ability to give to a financial need, you're always able to sit with someone, listen to them, and pray for them. And don't underestimate the power of just dropping by unexpected for a few minutes, checking in, or having a cup of coffee with someone. So those are things we're doing well. Are there things we can grow in? Absolutely. Are you honest with your needs? Are you open? Are you genuinely open to the needs of others? Or are you like, oh, I wish you hadn't told me that? Are you willing to be uncomfortable and inconvenienced by each other? Are you learning empathy from your trials? The ability to just go, that sounds really hard. Tell me more about it. Is it a relational issue for you when a brother or sister here at Westchester is in need and struggling? We participate in each other's needs. We take ownership in each other's needs. And we pursue the needs of the stranger. Here again, the, the ESV, it's, it's close. Seek to show hospitality. Seek to show it. Well, there's, there's two different ways that we can seek to show hospitality. One is I can't wait for someone to knock on my door. I love it when people drop by. And I, like, I'll, I'm going to tell you right now. What, one of the most hospitable people I know is my mother-in-law. If you go to her house right now, she will give you five options for dessert. <laughs> it's true. Like, there's, there's always, like, three baked goods, 18 kinds of ice cream, and a bowl of M&Ms. Like, there's just a plethora. And she can't wait to be hospitable. And then there is, I'm going to go out and find someone to welcome into my house. 
And that's what the text is describing. See, the first half was how we care for and show genuine love to one another. And now this is how do we care for and show genuine love for those outside our building. So let's look real quick at hospitality. Martin Lloyd-Jones is pretty helpful here. Uh, I'm going to read the longer quote, but I have a pretty good chunk there. Um, He says, this is a word that we use frequently, do we not? But the word used by the apostle is, again, much stronger than our word hospitality. We have debased it as we tend to debase most words. The word that the apostle uses means loving strangers, stranger loving. Paul says, in effect, you must have fondness and affection for strangers. This is exactly the same word he used in Hebrews 13 too. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. You might translate the verses, be not forgetful of hospitality. This is a, the idea here is that we would intentionally seek out the strangers, that we would go find them. And I want to I put the, the strangers in terms of the text in two categories. One, the believers that are not in our building who are suffering. This was written to the Roman church. Every Christian had some sort of level of suffering. The other Christians are going through tribulation. So I, I think it, it behooves us to ask, who is my brother and sister in Christ that's around me who has suffered or is suffering tribulation? I think the easiest answer for us with that is our refugee churches here in town. And our refugee believers, believers who have spent multiple years in refugee camps, some of them born in refugee camps. They've gone through the trials of moving to a foreign country where they don't know the language. They don't know they need something called a zip code. Everything is strange. Everything is foreign. Nothing is comfortable. And they're going through that suffering, some of them having to work two, three jobs to support their families. And it's, I can either be homeless and spend time with my kids or work three jobs so my kids can have food to eat and a place to stay. All the while, having brothers and sisters and family members who are still in their home country suffering greatly. Earlier this week, the elders had the chance to sit down with uh, a brother and sister in Christ from, from Myanmar. And they started sharing how they are daily getting updates of the suffering of their family members still in Burma. It was, it was a heavy realization for us to hear. We also have brothers and sisters in Christ connected to our global partners, some of whom are in prison or facing the threat of prison. And we have the instruction of Hebrews that we should remember those in prison as though we ourselves are with them. And then we have neighbors in need, the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, those taken advantage of, the food insecure, the abused and objectified. I think of Jesus' words at the judgment where he separates the sheep and the goats. He talks about those who ministered to the least of these and those who did not. He said, you clothed, you welcomed, you fed, you visited. Are we having a hospitable pursuit to go after them? Lloyd-Jones says, Talking about specifically the family of God, he says, we are all brothers and sisters, speaking of the strangers that we don't know. You and I belong to the same family. Indeed, we are more closely related than 
than we are by natural ties because we are members of the family of God. And the moment you realize there is no difficulty about this injunction, the moment we say they are my family in Christ, this instruction becomes so much easier. If, if a member of your family is in trouble, you are there. Blood is thicker than water, you say. Well, I say the spirit is thicker than blood because he is the Holy Spirit of God. so we pursue them. We chase them down. You have needs and I want to help. You have needs and I care about those needs. Pursuing the opportunity to be hospitable. Pursuing the opportunity to share in their needs just like we seek to share and participate in the needs of each other. This is not just opening the door when someone stops by, but finding someone in order just to open the door before they have the chance to knock. This is going to find the stranger to welcome them in, to go find someone to love. Actively looking for a stranger in need. We, we do this some. We do this some. We could grow in it. We do it some. We do it through our global partners. It's not uncommon to have a request from the global partner of a need on the field. And we send, we send as much support as we can to help in those needs. We do this when we welcome in students every Friday morning of the school year to have pancakes in our gym. We do this, we started doing this again last fall when we resurrected the English, the English language learners on Wednesday night and making Westchester a place where refugees and immigrants can come and learn English to have a, a better life in the U.S., in our city. And in so doing, we've touched a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ and we've touched a lot of people who have no idea who Jesus is and have moved here from the 1040 window. And I just want to throw this out as a plug. There's a lot of ways to be in, in support of and a part of that ELL ministry. And some of you are thinking, I don't know enough English to teach someone English. You don't have to. Because... As those people are coming, one of the things they need to be able to come is, is something for their kids. And so maybe you're thinking, oh, I don't know that I could teach English, but I can sure play with kids that know better English than their parents because they're already going to school. And so maybe I need to get involved in the children's ministry. Maybe I need to volunteer at the nursery desk on Wednesday nights. Maybe I need to get involved in the youth ministry so that I can be part of the trellis that supports this ministry so we can grow it and care for more and welcome in more strangers and pursue hospitality towards the needs of more strangers. And there's other ways you can serve within your Wednesday nights. You can continue to participate with the Benevolent Fund because this certainly goes to addressing the needs of strangers. And, and here's, here's the other thing. Get to know them. 
I haven't met a single person who's moved here from another country who's just like, oh, I wish Americans would stop talking to me. I wish they'd quit inviting me into their homes. I have a life, you know. I wish they'd stop being so friendly and hospitable. I haven't met a single person who says that. But I've sure met a whole lot who are looking for friendship. Who are willing to lean into the social awkwardness that we don't know each other's languages, but we can smile across the room while enjoying a meal. And we can learn some words. And we can pray in our separate languages knowing that one God in heaven who has saved us by the blood of the same cross and put the same Holy Spirit in us, unites us. Would you get to know and actively pursue opportunities to sit down and form friendships with believers from other backgrounds, from other nationalities? We're going to spend eternity with each other. We might as well get started on loving each other now, right? Amen? Again, notice the complete lack of wiggle room that Paul gives. It's not a, as you sit in your church, should someone happen to knock on your door, let them in. It is a go and seek. Pursue their needs. Know that they have needs. So go find ways to lean into those. This is what genuine love looks like. And here's how we know that that's what genuine love looks like. Because it's the exact love that was given to us by the God of heaven who loved us before we ever had a chance or the wherewithal or the awareness to love him first. Remember, all of this in Romans 12 is under the umbrella of this infinite, matchless, active, powerful mercy of God that we know as the gospel. And so, as we as believers continue to grow in our faith, continue to grow in our understanding of the gospel, what should happen is that the gospel continues to change us. And so here's a picture of that. I, I just want to give the, use this as an example. It took me a long time to realize the breadth of the significance of the incarnation. That it's not just that Jesus came and lived a sinless life, but Jesus came and lived a kind of filthy, rotten life with filthy, rotten people. And he came and, set up, he came and set up his presence among us. He tabernacled among us. That the God of heaven would look on my sad, sorry estate. And instead of going, oh, I just don't even have time for that guy. And instead of browbeating me for the decisions I've made that's gotten me in that situation to begin with, he would send his, his precious son to come and live and walk in a day and age where they didn't even have indoor plumbing. He sent his son to come among us and met a whole lot of needs before he ever died on the cross. He fed with people. He fed people. He listened to them. He healed their illnesses. 
He cared for them. He wept with them. What a beautiful picture of genuine love. And so my prayer is that as we grow in our understanding of the genuine love of God that we've experienced, that we would be eager, eager, eager to extend that same genuine love. And what Romans 12, 13 tells us is that comes from participating in each other's needs and pursuing the needs of those around us. Because that's the kind of God we have, that He does that. Let's pray. Father, we praise You for this love that You've given us. We praise You that You are a mighty God, a holy God, and a loving God who does not just sit there but you are a God who loves us with a pursuing love to meet our needs, to save us from our sin, and to build us up. God, would you continue to show us this genuine love of yours and give us the strength and the wisdom and the willingness to extend that genuine love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.